Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Uh, First of all, I just wanted to uh, read out of a scripture found in Proverbs 29, 18. Uh, It goes like this. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. That's Proverbs 29, 18, found in the English Standard Version. Um, this morning, I want to talk, it's kind of, uh, it may be a little bit like stick with me for a while type message, um, but toward the end, I want us to kind of wrap it up and make, hopefully it makes sense by the end or through it. Um, but I want to talk to, you, to us about having a vision for what God calls you to do and the importance of having vision. I believe uh, where it says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Uh, that, I looked up that word restraint. It's, uh, it's, in the Hebrew, it's pronounced para, which uh, by the Strong's definition means to, uh, to loosen, to expose, um, to avenge, avoid, bear, go back. Uh, make naked, set at naught, perish, refuse, uncover. When the Lord gives you a vision, there's something that has to happen when that vision comes, and uh, you restrain yourselves from everything that would distract you from the vision, right? We're standing here today saying, hey, we're going to French Polynesia. That's the vision that God has put inside of our hearts. We're not studying about Mexico right now, right? We're not, we're not working on our Spanish. Instead, we're getting prepared to work on speaking French and knowing the culture of where we're going. We restrain ourselves from the things that would distract us so that we can fulfill the vision that God put in our hearts. And this morning, it's so tempting when we don't have a fresh vision to just kind of wander. And uh, I want to say, you know, when you look in, the, in, in Israel, when they were delivered from Egypt, They started wandering the desert, right? But God had a purpose, but they weren't keeping their eyes on the Lord. So when Moses went up to the mountain, when God was giving him the Ten Commandments, the people lost sight of the vision. They forgot about what God had just done in in Egypt to deliver them, how he parted the Red Sea. And instead, uh, they asked for Aaron to make a God for them. And this is what they said in Exodus 32, 22 through 26. And this is just one example of casting off restraint uh, that we read in biblical history. It says this, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered, talking to Moses. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. That's believable, right? <laughs> Just out, oh my, oh my goodness, this was popped out. Moses saw that the people were running wild, and that Aaron had let them get out of control, and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Israel had lost vision. They'd been kind of wandering through the desert, and they were kind of like, what is the point of my life right now? We're just, we're not really in any, any city. We're, not, we're just kind of wandering in this desert, and now Moses has gone off somewhere. We got to have something we can see. 
So let's make a God, and we'll say that this God that was a calf that somehow popped out of the fire, right? We know that's not true. But uh, somehow this God was there, and we'll call that the God that delivered us out of Egypt. They needed something to see. They lost sight of a vision. And so they ran wild, which they were unrestrained. So where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And I want to ask us this morning, is there how, I want us to keep in mind, how are there things in my life that I've cast off restraint? In what way have I begun to loosen instead of hold on tightly to what the vision is that God put in my heart? When Moses was uh, nowhere to be found, the people turned to what they knew in their former way of life. They wanted a God to worship that they could see. They wanted gods like the people of Egypt had. They'd cast off restraint, running wild and naked. Not only do we see uh, the effects of not having a vision in Old Testament times, but we can see it um, throughout the New Testament um, and also in our society today as a whole. When, when people begin to lose that prophetic vision, that, that call of God, what, what the Bible says to be truth, and instead, uh, you know, Paul wrote it in Romans 1, 20 through 25. He said, for, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. We live in a culture today um, that people have cast off restraint. Um, all around us, we see people pushing agendas and, and saying things that really are not biblical at all, but it's because we've traded the truth of God for a lie, and we've become unrestrained, just like the people of Israel who lost sight of Moses, who lost sight of the call of God and what God was doing in their, in their land. Today, as a culture, as a society, we've lost our touch on what God wants for a nation for a people. And today we see the effects of people walking without vision. Our society has bought the lie that there is no absolute truth. People believe they are free to do anything they want to do. They believe they are put on this planet by random happenings, evolving from a crazy cosmic accident, and are existing in the world with no eternal hope. So they live to satisfy temporary pleasures and pursue passions to no real substantial end. <clears throat> That's kind of the case that we see um, from Israel in history, from our society in general. And now I would just want to look more inwardly at our church, at church, and not and church. You know, as one growing up in a, in the church, I can see the effects of what it does on my own life personally when I don't have a vision, and what I what it does for a church in general when we lose sight of God's vision. For too long, the church has been content to rehearse the play and dress the part with no intention of taking the stage to put the gospel on display. What is the mission of the church? According to Jesus, 
The church has one mission, and that's the Great Commission. We are called to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded, that, that Jesus has commanded. The truth is, the church, I want to give you hope for a second. This does get better, and it ends happily. But I want us to have kind of our eyes tuned to what, what the real situation. The truth is, the church has largely lost its vision. Never before have so many churches created mission and vision statements, and yet so little churches succeed at truly raising up people who take the Great Commission seriously. Sadly, we have often pursued our personal vision for our lives and have not restrained ourselves to the point of putting everything else aside for the sake of making disciples. I believe that a shift in our understanding needs to happen um, where we maybe loosen off the things that have distracted us and we give everything we've got to fulfill this Great Commission. One of the scriptures that Carly and I were talking about as we came down, uh, drove down in our, in our motorhome uh, to Pagosa was this scripture that says in Matthew eleven twelve it says, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So we began to have this conversation like, what does that mean? That the, the, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. So I went on uh, to Blue Letter Bible and looked up the word violence, uh, which biadso is what it is, and it says the meaning of that is to force, to crowd oneself into, or to be seized, press, suffer violence. And the word violent, where it says violent, take it by force, is biastes, which means a forcer, energetic, or violent. And what Carly and I were talking about was that the kingdom of God requires us to take hold of it, to not just passively read the word of God and say, wow, that's good. I, love, I want to embroider that on my wall. I want to get that. I want to write that in my journal, right? But it's to do something with it. It's to take hold of the word of God that God gave for us to use, and we put it into practice. So it's taking it by force. It's saying, God, you said go and make disciples of all nations. I'm just going to do it. I don't, I don't have to be called to Tahiti. I am called here right now to my neighbors, to right where I am. I'm going to preach the gospel right where I am. And so this call is, it requires action. It requires us to take the word of God and say, God, you said it. I believe it. I'm going to grab hold of it. Okay? So um, one of the, just a quick example. In order for us to get down here, um, we wanted to bring our Jeep with us especially because it's in the mountains and it's just cool, right? Uh, we wanted to bring our Jeep. And in order for us to bring our Jeep with us, I had to order all these parts and I, and I had to install them on the Jeep. So it took me a while to order the parts because I didn't want to do the work, okay? So I, I went online, had to figure out all the parts I needed so that I could hook this Jeep up to the, the motorhome and I had to have a braking system. And so I get all these parts in and they're just sitting on my desk in my office and on the floor. And I'm like, man, got to put a hitch on, got to put these, got all this stuff. And, you know, I could have been content. We, we wouldn't have, you know, I could have just let those sit there, but then we wouldn't have had a vehicle to drive when we got down here. So I could have stared at those parts for a long time, but instead I had to do the work. And it took a lot of work to get going, to get down here. 
And the, what I'm trying to say is the, sometimes we read the Word of God and we put it on our shelf and think, wow, that was good. And we neglect to see that those are all parts of, a piece, of pieces that we need to put together in our lives so that we can make it happen. Um, how many of you are familiar with D.L. Moody? D.L. Moody was an American evangelist who God used. He only had, a, from what I recall, a fifth grade education. And he was working in a shoe store. And uh, his, his Sunday school teacher came in. He'd been going to a Sunday school for a while. And his Sunday school teacher came in and began to share with him the gospel. And then the man left. And D.L. Moody went in the back of the, of the storeroom and got on his knees and gave his heart to Jesus. And he... he and he, he began to make this commitment to follow the Lord and, and to serve him. One of a, a man by the name of R.A. Torrey wrote an article that says, Why God Used D.L. Moody. And I actually, um, if you, I put a QR code up here because if you want to have that, you can scan the QR code. And it's a whole amazing uh, writing that R.A. Torrey shares about how D.L. Moody, why he was effective. And he says seven things, and this is, this is what he said. He said, number one, that D.L. Moody was a fully surrendered man. Number two, D.L. Moody was a man of prayer. Number three, he, had a deep and practic- he was a deep and practical student of the Bible. Number four, he was a humble man. Number five, his entire freedom from the love of money. Number six, his consuming passion for the salvation of the lost. And number seven, definitely endowed with power from on high. With, uh, in the life of D.L. Moody, we, we see a man that was fully consecrated to God. That was his, his decision. He wanted to be a man fully consecrated to God. And for the next few moments, I just wanted to simply share for us what it means to share the gospel and make disciples. Um, sometimes I think we over-spiritualize this concept, or there's a lot of excuses to, that I'd say, like, oh, I can't make disciples. Like, that's Jesus. That's what he does, right? He does it. But Jesus actually said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. So God has given us the authority and the power through him. So uh, I just wanted to share briefly um, just five things of how we can um, share the gospel more effectively. And, uh, but I can't neglect to say that this all starts with a vision first and foremost, that we must first have a vision of why we reach our, our community. Um, just yesterday, I was talking to a guy. I was actually doing more work on the Jeep. <laughs> and I, a guy walked up and said he, he'd done something similar, so we got to talking. And before he left, I just felt like I should ask him, is he a Christian? So I said, are you a Christian? And he said... No, and I don't plan to be. And I was like, that's an honest answer. <laughs> I don't plan to be. And I asked him, you know, did you grow up in a Christian home? And he said, yeah. And, uh, but he, he didn't plan to be a Christian. And um, I don't know. Everywhere we go, there's people that are in need of Jesus. And if we don't have that vision, if we don't have our ears tuned to think, Lord, can I reach this person today? Did you bring this person across my path for a reason? Like, then we may miss those opportunities. And, but God every day is bringing those unique opportunities. And one of the things that, about sharing the gospel and making disciples is, number one, we, realize, we need to realize that we have good news to share. 
I don't know if you turned on your TV lately and, and watched the news, but there's not really good news to share when you turn on the news, right? You turn on your TV and um, if you weren't depressed before, you are now, you know. The, but can I encourage you? This is where the happy, encouraging part comes of this message. We have wonderful news to share. And we live it. <clears throat> I, uh, I'm trying to find this part of my notes here. Um, We belong to the people of God, and we are his children. You and I have had purpose and hope restored to our lives. What Satan has done to our society is utter cruelty. The enemy has infiltrated our society with so many lies that people believe, and the gospel comes to destroy each one. When the truth of the gospel penetrates a community, people receive eternal hope, a purpose-filled life, a future destiny, and a life lived out in peace and union with the living God. I've heard it said, Francis Chan said that when, when the world gets darker, the church is brighter. And, you know, we can look at our society and we can say, oh my goodness, we're done. There's no hope. We got nothing. Do you see what's happening here? This person's doing this. This community's doing this. They're legalizing this. This is happening. And we can look at it and think, man, this is just awful. But the truth is, the church is poised like never before to reach our, uh, reach our nation and we can shine brighter, we can, shine more, we can have more of a contrast than ever before because we have the hope of the gospel. When you walk into a school and the school preaches or is sharing that, uh, you know, a theory of evolution, that we all came out of nothing, that you, your life really doesn't have any purpose, you really just got here by accident, we can turn and say, you know what? The Bible tells us that God, that God made you in his image that God loves you so much that he died on a cross to sacrifice himself so that you can be free. And that burden that you're carrying inside, that hopeless feeling, that, that depression that you're carrying, God can lift that off in a moment. That is good news. We have this gospel that will endure. Jesus said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church will keep rising as we keep the vision of what God has called us to do and preach the gospel. So the first thing is to realize that we have good news to share. Secondly, rekindle a devoted prayer life. I love to see that uh, the church here is still praying on Wednesday. You know, I don't know how many years the prayer meeting has been going on Wednesday nights, but it's still going. Years and years and years of people praying on Wednesday night. You know, and it's sometimes is prayer sometimes dry. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's you know. But God's not calling us to. Uh, just feel him, right? God's calling us to press in and, and, pr and pray and intercede for our city, not necessarily to have a spiritual high. He's just calling faithful people to faithfully pray so that people can be transformed by the gospel. That's why we pray. So there's a devoted prayer life that must happen. Uh, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6, Paul says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may be, live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. The fourth, uh, the fourth thing that we need to do in sharing the gospel and making disciples is that we need to have a relentless commitment to fill, fulfill the Great Commission. A relentless commitment. Right? As Christians... Uh, we don't take a 
we don't take a vacation from the gospel, right? God will bring people in your path at opportune times and sometimes when it doesn't seem opportune. But if we need to have that relentless commitment that we want to fill heaven with people that don't know Jesus yet. We want to make sure that our community, um, every time I drive through cities and towns, I look at people. I look at the people and I see people wandering the streets that are either on drugs or alcohol or whatever the case may be or see broken families. And I think, God, reach this community for Christ. And the people that he's put on this, in this community is you and I. It's, it's to reach our community for Christ. It's you and me. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to preach to everyone. He said, go. You go. You share the gospel. And know, and know that we have good news to share. So we need to have a relentless commitment to the Great Commission. One thing that, about D.L. Moody's life is that he, he made this commitment to the Lord. He said, I, I won't let a day pass that I don't share Jesus with someone. That's a big commitment. And R.A. Torrey in his writing says that D.L. Moody was busy, but he always tried to make time to, to share the gospel with someone. And on one particular evening, D.L. Moody, uh, let me... Uh, it says he was going home from his place of business. It was very late, and it suddenly occurred to him that he had not spoken to one single person that day about accepting Christ. He said to himself, here's a day lost. I have not spoken to anyone today, and I shall not see anybody at this late hour. But as he walked up the street, he saw a man standing under a lamppost. The man was a perfect stranger to him, though, uh, um, though, it, though it turned out afterwards the man knew who Mr. Moody was. He stepped up to this stranger and said, Are you a Christian? The man replied, this, That is none of your business whether I'm a Christian or not. If you were not a sort of preacher, I would knock you to, into the gutter for your impertinence. Mr. Moody said a few, more in, a few earnest words and passed on. The story goes on that that man went to a, a, a mutual friend of, of D.L. Moody's and he said, Man, can you believe what D.L. Moody did to me? He came up to me, and he said this, and he said, he's got zeal without knowledge. And, he's just, and this, this friend went to D.L. Moody and told him the story, and D.L. Moody was like, man, maybe I have been a little too... Uh, let me see what he says. Weeks past, uh, um, He says, Mr. Moody went out of that man's office somewhat crestfallen. He wondered if he were not doing more harm than he was good, if he really had zeal without knowledge. Let me say in passing, it is far better to have zeal without knowledge than it is to have, have knowledge without zeal. Some men and women are, are as full of knowledge as an egg is of meat. They are so deeply versed in Bible truth that they, can't, that they can sit in criticism on the preachers and give the preachers pointers, but they have so little zeal that they do not lead one soul to Christ in a whole year. The story goes on that weeks passed by, and one night Mr. Moody was in bed when he heard a tremendous pounding at his front door. He jumped out of bed and rushed to the door. He thought the house was on fire. He thought the man would break down the door. He opened the door, and there stood this man. He said, Mr. Moody, I have not had a good night's sleep since the night you spoke to me under the lamppost, and I have come around to this, certain, this unearthly hour of the night for you to tell me what I have to do to be saved. Mr. Moody took him in and told him what to do to be saved. Then he accepted Christ, and, went, and when the Civil War broke out, he went to the front and laid down his life fighting for his country. 
Can I say something? Mr. Moody, uh, D.L. Moody, he made a commitment. He said, God, this is what your word says. I'm going to take hold of it, like we just read, the violent take it by force. I'm going to take hold of your word, and I'm going to make a commitment with my whole heart that I'm not going to let a day pass without sharing the gospel. And who honored that commitment? D.L. Moody did, but who honored it by filling the gaps that, that D.L. Moody said I would say yes to? God did. God opened supernatural doors for this man to share the gospel wherever he went because he took hold of the promise to make disciples. And in this place this morning, I can guarantee you that each of us around have people in our sphere of influence who need to hear this life-saving message of the gospel. And we can't any longer cast off restraint. We can't any longer live like our neighbors live. They, they watch four hours of TV at night. Right, let's do that. No, we cast off some restraint. We're going to use our time wisely because we only have one life and then eternity. We want to live lives that make sense in light of eternity. We want to make sure that we're following God's kingdom and making sure that we're doing everything that we can. I believe that D.L. Moody was an example of a man who took the kingdom of God by force. He was not content to see men and women perish around him. He made a commitment to share the gospel, and God honored his commitment by sending him divine opportunities. I know that this city is one commitment away from being impacted by the kingdom of God. Will you make a commitment to obey the Great Commission? The last thing I want to say is, number five, recognize your life is not your own. Your life is not your own. The Bible says that we have been bought at a price and that we are not our own. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 9 says, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you, because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. The Great Commission is about teaching people to live to live. Uh, to live lives for Jesus while we live our lives for Jesus. Jesus spent time with people. Jesus taught, he healed, and lived a life with people. We must follow in his footsteps and do the same if we are truly to make disciples. I feel like for me, making disciples is more of the difficult part than sharing the gospel because it requires spending time. It requires me saying, you know what, I don't feel like having anyone at my house today, but I'm going to. I'm going to invite so-and-so to come over. I'm going to invite my neighbor, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of my comfortable house and talk to my neighbor. Sometimes that can be a difficulty. He's mowing the lawn. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, I'll go. And then, but it, 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 the fruit of that, uh, it takes work to bear fruit. It takes work to see fruit uh, grow. And, and so I want to encourage you. I always believe that when we listen to the word of God, that we should have some sort of response. And uh, I just want to close with these few thoughts. Um, D.L. Moody, uh, Moody has a saying that says this, The world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. Um, D.L. Moody didn't necessarily originate those, those words. Uh, he was actually having a conversation with Henry Varley, who was a British revivalist. And um, he actually later talked to this, uh, this man, and he said, Do you, Don't you remember saying, Moody, the world has yet to see what God will do 
um, with a man fully consecrated to him? And this man, Henry, said, not the actual sentence. Ah, said Mr. Moody, those were the words sent to my soul through you from the living God. As I crossed the wide Atlantic, the boards of the deck of the vessel were engraved with them. And when I reached Chicago, the very paving stones seemed marked with Moody, the world is yet to see what God will do with a man fully consecrated to him. Under the power of those words, I have come back to England, and I have felt that I must not let more time pass until I let you know how God has used your words to my inmost soul. So Mr. Moody's saying, everywhere I walked, it was like the street was saying, God is yet to see what God will do through a man fully consecrated to him. God is yet to see what, you, what a man who will say, yes, Lord, I'm fully yours and make an impact. And D.L. Moody made one of the greatest impacts uh, on our society. He was very impactful. And God used him to make some incredible things happen. So this is what I'd like to do just for the next few moments is to just have an opportunity to let the Holy Spirit speak to us. And um, I want us to just take a moment to close our eyes right where we're at and uh, just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, how can I, what kind of vision do you have for my life? Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.